0: And tell them it's going to get cool and rain soon. Just hold on. Well, glad to have you today. We are wrapping up today our series, New Beginnings. It's been about a fresh start in our individual lives, but also a fresh start in our church as we prepare to uh, step into our relocation and at that old Gander Mountain property. And again, I want to just say thank you, thank you, thank you for you that have made commitments to make this possible uh, when I saw the number this week, I made the bookkeepers count it three times. I, I, you know, I had faith, but I said, well, that seems like an awful lot. But uh, they assured me that it was the right number. And uh, uh, listen, our goal was a million dollars, and anything over that is just going to help us get in there and do it quicker and to do it better. And uh, if you still would like to make a commitment and haven't, there's a card in the back of that chair, and, you, and we're going to receive at the end of our service today, as I mentioned earlier, a one time first fruits offering. And that's to kind of jumpstart it and get it going. If you're a guest today, please don't feel obligated to be a part of that. But let me say this we're building it, we're, we're remodeling to give us more room for people that aren't here yet. We're not just doing it for ourselves. This is more than adequate for ourselves. But how many know we're doing it for people that are in need of Christ that, uh, that are coming one day? Now, today, I'm not going to talk about a building, but I want to talk about the kind of church we are. I want to talk about the kind of Christian. That you and I should desire to be. I want to talk about our beliefs, or we'll say it this way, our core values. Uh, A core value, by definition, is it's like the foundation of a building. Uh, If you got ready to, if we were building from scratch, the first thing they would do is run the bulldozer and they'd put in concrete and steel. They would build a foundation that shapes everything else, that upholds everything else. And uh, values are like that. Uh, You might even use the word worldview. Because a value determines what's important to you. A value determines if you're a young person. If your value is that I want to be pure until the day I'm married. And if that's your value, I commend you. It's biblical. If your value is one that uh, uh, I don't care about life, I'm going to just have as much fun as long as I can. That's a value. But there are things that drive our life. There's things that we would fight for. There's things that we would stand for that are foundational. And Last week, I talked about one of these values. Uh, you remember last week, we talked about some hot-button issues. We talked about diversity, equality, racism. But specifically, we talked about diversity and unity in the church. And it was, that's a core value to us. If you look around the room, you'll see people that are different from you. Different not only racially, but different gender, different economics, different uh, age. Uh, I believe that's God's plan. Uh, my, my vision and hope for our church is we can be a cradle to grave. That kids feel just as welcome as do grandparents. Grandpa- you know grandparents are not far from being rock and rollers. You do understand that, don't you? Uh, if you grew up in the 60's you were, a, you, were, you were a bit of a rock and roller. But anyway, the scripture was Galatians 3.28. Now listen, Paul said there's neither Jew nor Greek. And we're talking about in Christ, our unity. In Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek. That's the racial division. In Christ, there's neither slave nor free. That's the economic division. Maybe somebody drove up to church in a Mercedes and you rode your bicycle. That's the economic difference. Uh, and uh, there's neither male nor female. That's the gender. For you are all one, where? In Christ, in Christ Jesus. There is something about the person of Jesus and the cross of Christ that unites us rather than divides us. So this morning I want to continue talking about eight more core values. I'm somewhat painting a broad picture with broad strokes. I'm calling it the right foundation. And if I could say this as kind of preparation, our core values are built on two primary things. One is the Bible as the Word of God, and number two, the person of Jesus Christ the only Savior of the world. And from there, we're going to broaden ourselves. But let's talk first about the Bible is God's Word. Now, that's pretty easy to say. I've had a Bible all my life. When I was a little boy, my mom gave me a, a black Bible. I remember it, King James Version. It was zippered. Uh, I'd put special things in it. It had a cross on the zipper. I never read it, but every once in a while, I'd put it under my pillow hoping that would help. You understand? This is my pulpit Bible. It's actually got my, my grandson's little nursery pass on it. He only comes a couple. I hadn't been very often, and I love him so much, so it kind of reminds me of him. But I, I bring it. I have a Bible that I, I read every day of my life. But uh, when I make that statement, it's a reliable God to live by. I want you to pause just a moment, and I'm going to ask you in this section, how, the, the, what type of influence does the Bible have on your life? Does it guide your decisions? Or is it just a source of knowledge? Let's read what Scripture says of itself, 2 Timothy 3. It says, All Scripture is inspired by God. Now, what that literally means is that God somehow breathed on men of old, and some 40, some 40 authors wrote 66 individual books that collectively form one Bible, over a period of several thousand years with one primary message, it speaks of the relationship with God to mankind. Uh, but if God inspired this word, listen what it says. It's useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. And he says it again, it corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Now I'm going to ask you a very basic question. I particularly want to ask you that are young in the room. How do we know the difference between right and wrong? Now, in our culture today, we have seen a shift away from the Bible as being somewhat the the, the standard that undergirded our culture and Western civilization as far as that goes. But now we've seen personal feelings supersede the Bible. It's almost like when we make a decision, we don't go to the Bible and see what God's Word would say. We say, well, I feel, or I studied in class... For example, if you're studying science and you're studying the origins of man and they start out with either a Big Bang or they start out with a pre-existing universe, as a Christian, as a Bible believer, I start out with Genesis 1-1. The world has developed a system that has scoured itself from any knowledge of God and developed evolution as an explanation for origins. It's developed all sorts of theories that exclude God. But for the believer our starting place is Genesis 1-1 and there are some brilliant scientists that believe that. Now, uh, but do personal feelings make the decision? Or how about a professional? How about about, uh, a psychologist? Uh, Is a psychologist going to educate you and tell you? Uh, As I understand today, some psychologists don't even believe we have a soul. So if that's your psychology teacher, then you might as well throw the Bible away. Are you with me today? Uh, Or is it the majority? Do we just do a show of hands, either in a room or across America, and determine right and wrong? Well, I want to suggest to you that God has provided us with an owner's manual. And the owner's manual is called the Bible. It's called the Word of God. The one who created us and the universe has given us his word to show us the difference between right and wrong. Now the statement I'm about to make, it'll be on the screen, is the most important statement I'll make today. And it's this, that the greatest need in the church and the world is to allow God's word, the Bible, to shape our thinking and guide our decisions. If we as a people, as a church, if the nation would return to the Bible as the source of our decision-making, it would revolutionize life. But I can tell you today, particularly you that have been educated in a secular culture, that is foreign from our thinking. But I want that this is our foundation as a church. Uh, when I preach, uh, my goal is to preach the Bible and make it relevant to modern issues of life. My goal, and that's what I endeavor to do, whether I'm preaching about uh, uh, origins of the universe, the purpose of life, politics, highly divisive. But how many know if you look at politics through the lens of the Bible, it's easier to pick a candidate. Uh, Marriage and family, how to run my business, literally the Bible speaks to everything of life. And my hope is that you would let that be the number one core value in your life. Well, followed quickly by number two, the second core value the highest aspiration in life is knowing and loving our god and savior jesus christ now when i say highest aspirations in life right now i guarantee you local football teams their highest aspiration is winning the state championship any pg players in the room today or pg fans yeah two and oh Okay, two and oh. Listen, uh, you've won state before. You are hope to head there again. Texas High is one in one. They think maybe they can do it. And that's great when you're a kid. But how many know that's not enough? Maybe your aspiration is to have the biggest company in town. That's not enough. Maybe your aspiration is to kick the longest field goal. That's not enough. Maybe your aspiration is to be yard of the month every month for the next year. That's good, but that's not enough. The highest aspiration in life is knowing and loving God. Now, the problem with knowing God is a problem the world doesn't speak about, but practices it every day. We see it every day. It's called sin. Sin is simply the decision and choice that Adam and Eve made in the Garden of Eden that separated them from God and has somehow influenced us to this day. Our problem is sin. It separates us from God. And listen, we are helpless to save ourselves. That's why we need a Savior. Uh, Jesus came as a Savior. And and, and, and when we talk about being saved, Savior, salvation, the obvious question is, saved from what? Saved from the consequence of sin. The great reminder that God has given to all of us is death. The wages of sin is what? Death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Acts 4.11 says this of Jesus. There is salvation in No one else. This is what makes Christianity unique, the cross of Christ. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Now, again, the thinking of the world is there are as many paths to heaven. All religions are the same. Christianity is different than any other religion on the planet because of a reminder of what that cross means. Because Jesus Christ lived a sinless life to substitute His life for ours and those that would believe and follow Him would have eternal life. That's why Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father yeah, because of the life he lived. Now, salvation happens when we believe in Jesus. If I could illustrate it, uh, I, I've been uh, raised in church all my life, but I was not a Christian all my life. Becoming a Christian has a definite starting point. For me, it was August 15, 1976. And if I could illustrate it this way, We're born with a knowledge of God. We see our heavens. We we know that there's something beyond us. But we're not living if the cross represents Christ. We're not living for Christ. We're going our own way. We're doing our own thing. We're just making up the rules as we go. Every once in a while we look back and say, I'm in trouble. Help me, please. But we just keep going. But something happens where you sense God's presence, where you feel God calling you, and you turn literally around. And if I could illustrate it this way, You humble yourself before God and say, God, I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me for my sins. I want you to come and be my Savior, and I want to follow you the rest of my life. Now, that's salvation, and that's the starting point of the Christian life. But the Christian life doesn't stop there. The Christian life, listen, salvation is a start, but after we begin a relationship with God, our goal is knowing and loving Him and following Him every day. Now this is a big thing. Let me read you what Paul said. Paul is talking about his religious past. He was very religious, but he said everything else, in other words, all my old religious practices are worthless when compared with the infinite knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Jesus is my personal Savior. I have received Him in my life. I know Him. I talk to Him. And Paul went on to say this. He said, I no longer count on my own righteousness or doing good things through the law of Moses, but I became righteous through faith in Christ. It was the righteousness God imparted or imputed to me. Now, he says it again, verse 10. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. This is why the Christian would have a daily devotion time. In other words, when you get up in the Bible, one of the first things out of my mouth is, Good morning, Lord. For the Christian, when we walk with God, we read our Bibles, we commune with Him. And this is foundational in our church. This is so important that we do missions works all over the world, all over our community. Every time we gather as a service... We make opportunity for people to make steps to Christ. As Pastor Mike mentioned last week, the college age out at Texas A&M, they had a kind of a kickoff, kind of a fun fun celebration time. They started doing worship music. They opened the Bible, and seven people raised their hands and said, I want to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, come on, give the Lord a good hand. That's what church is all about. Now, let me keep going. Uh, uh, The third value, God is worthy of our worship. God is worthy of our praise. And our praise and worship, expressive praise and worship, are biblical. Uh, now, worship is more than singing. When I was a young boy raised in the Methodist church, grateful for it, but we, had, we sang some songs, and then the preacher talked a little bit. We would sing songs. Miss Green played the piano, and if you wanted a particular song, like He Lives or I Come to the Garden or How Great Thou Art, you'd raise your hand and she'd play it. And that was wonderful. It was great. But there's something more than just singing a song. Worship embodies honoring God, thanking God, expressing ourselves with this. Uh, The Bible talks about different expressions of worship. One being, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. If you'd have shouted in that little Methodist church, everybody would have looked at you and thought one of those red wasps in the summertime had stung you. But, but sometimes your joy just can't be contained. Uh, sometimes the scripture, well, the scripture says, bow down as an act of worship. You see, worship is a container that we use not only our mind, but our emotions and our physical body to express it to God. I have a little grandson, my youngest. He's three weeks old, and he caught some cooties of uh, virus from his brother, and uh, he's in the hospital right now. And the poor little baby, they've got him all hooked up to things, so you pray for him. But you know what? Uh, that little, when, when, when the good report comes, how many know when they do the blood work and when they do the urinalysis and all those things and they come back and the doctor said, or the nurse or whoever says oh, those tests were clear, how many know mom and dad breathe a sigh of relief? Yeah. Well, when we breathe that sigh of relief, isn't it also appropriate to say, thank you, Lord, for touching my little boy? You see, it's a recognition that whether the hand of a doctor was used, whether medicine was used, or whether it's supernatural, God is still the one who's doing it. And you see, friends, worship flows out of us to a God that we know and love. Not just in our minds, but in our hearts. We worship God. And can I say this before I leave it? Worship is a door into God's presence. Have you ever been in a worship service in church and you just felt that God was almost standing next to you? where the presence of the Holy Spirit was so strong and vital and real? I cannot think of any other way that we can make a stronger connection to the reality of God. I'm not talking about mystical, spooky, and weird. I'm talking about the promise in James that said if we come close to God, God comes close to us. And that door happens to us in the place of worship. Come on, give him a good good hand today. (laughs) Here's another value. The mission for our church, and I hope your life mission is to populate heaven. What do you mean by that? Every person that's ever lived on this planet, every person in this room, all 35,000 people that go down the interstate today, every one of them will spend eternity somewhere in a real place called heaven or a real place called hell. And we are the ambassadors of Christ on the earth today. And we're called to do everything in our power to reach as many as we can before it's eternally too late. I did a funeral this week for Miss Effie. Uh, we remembered her life. We celebrated her. She was a follower of Christ. But I guarantee you, funerals happened this week and people had not made steps to Christ. And my friends, if the Bible is indeed, indeed true, they await a form of judgment that the mind could not even imagine. And I am compelled, I hope we are all compelled that if our next-door neighbor was in a house and their house was on fire, that we would go in-house and get those kids, we would get that kitty cat, we would be willing to risk our lives to save someone. Paul said it this way. Paul said, I'm free and belong to no one, but I make myself a slave to all people to win as many as I can. And this, my friends, is the spirit of our church. Let me show you just a couple pictures of just some things that we do and why we do them. Uh, Here, this is a school supplies back to school, but they all come with some kind of gospel witness done in the name of Christ here in our community. Uh, Let's keep going there. Uh, This is people that go and gather and feed homeless people in downtown Texarkana. Uh, here, this is someone helping a homeless person wash their clothes. Why are they doing it? Because they're a good person? No, they're doing it because they love God. God's told us to love and serve people, and we do it in the name of Christ. Here's Pastor Mike. He takes groups out to five uh, of our inner city housing complexes in town every week during school, twice a week on Tuesday and Thursday, and they have sidewalk Sunday school teaching these kids about Jesus. We have people that go to a nursing home for people that are, that can't function physically or grown older. This is overseas in India. We bought that bus for them. They have 800 kids. They're Hindu kids going to a Christian school to learn not only reading and writing, but they learn about Jesus. These are churches in Mexico that we support. We go down there several times a year to the indigenous people. This is a group that went to Burma. Uh, uh, that's one person they're helping. This is water wells. We go twice a year and dig water wells for the poor in Mexico, and uh, uh, we pay for all of it. The team goes down buys their tickets, but guess what? They do it in context with churches, and the name of Jesus is brought along with fresh water to drink. This is my daughter Bethany. She's in Africa for another year, and she's there because she loves God and she loves people, and she's spreading the gospel. That's what church is all about, friends, and we want to be able to do it more. Now, here's a big question. How do you do it to have great impact? Is it just our abilities? Is it just our boombox or whatever we would bring? No. This fifth value is this, that the power and gifts of the Holy Spirit are available to believers today. Now many of us were raised in what's called cessationism. And cessationism is a belief that what happened in the book of Acts. See, I believe that the book of Acts is a model It's a paradigm for the church, not just the history of the church. Many of us were taught cessationism, and cessationism says the supernatural stopped when the apostles died. Or the supernatural stopped when the New Testament canon was brought together. We don't believe that. We see no biblical justification for that. Uh, Even Jesus said in Acts 1.8, Jesus said you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my what? You'll be my witnesses. In other words, Jesus said, I want to give you more than just nice words and more than just a bottle of water to hand out. I want to put some power in your voice. I want to give you the ability to minister supernaturally. Uh, Even Paul in the the book of Corinthians, he tells us this, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. In other words, every one of us in this room, whether they're the gifts in the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 9 and 1 Corinthians 9 talks about the gift of, uh, uh, there's a the gift of prophecy, uh, word of knowledge, word of wisdom. Uh, there's discerning of spirits, there's the working of miracles, there's healing. Uh, and my mind slips me for the last, the last few more. Uh, the gift of faith. There are uh, the working of miracles. What am I missing? Anyway, it's there. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 12, and then you slip over to 13 and 14. but that these gifts can operate today. And for example, here's how this might work. When you heard me tell about my little grandson in the hospital, his name is Titus. These gifts work by faith. Faith is like an activator. That you might even pause right then and just say, "Lord, would you just send your healing word to that little boy?" Would you just send an angel and touch him? We're grateful for doctor's care, but let the great physician hover over that hospital room. And I just pray and say in the name of Jesus that that little child is going to rise up, that your presence is going to be in that room. See, it's a faith, it's a belief, it operates on the Word of God. Last service, we had a testimony a young man was here. His name is German. I saw his testimony on Facebook and time prohibited from doing it all. But German is a young man. He was adopted by a family in, his, in our church, young African-American boy. His mom died, and listen to this. He didn't know where he was going to live. So he asked his teacher, who happens to be a white lady, could I live with you? And she and her husband took him in. Well, this little boy, the struggles he had in his life, one of them was he, he stuttered horribly bad. I listened to him on the little tape, and I could barely understand him. He went in, he was in a church service somewhere. He went and people prayed for him. They laid their hands on him. And then the next interview he had, he was talking just like I'm talking now. Yeah. What, what is that? That's something miraculous. That's something with the, the hand of God. So that's the fifth one. Here's the sixth one, and it's a little different. We all do wrong and need God's forgiveness and mercy. Everybody say amen to that. But we also need to live a righteous and holy life. This is attention. It's a balance. I think churches can go to either extreme. I think churches can, in their desire to love people, ignore biblical standards and basically just say, we love you, we accept anything you're doing, and it doesn't matter. Well, listen, I can love you, but still say what you're doing is wrong. And I don't say that as a self-righteous, condemning person, but the Bible tells us that some conduct, some behavior is wrong, And you need to repent from that. You need to change from that. Now, church can err on either side. You can be over here and not have standards or over here and beat people over the head with the Bible. How many know both are wrong? I always, the church that I pastor, I've had the privilege to pastor here 29 years. I want this to be a merciful place. And I'll illustrate it. There was an individual, uh, I'll be careful not to give any detail, but I went to a church gathering and they were just in the corner kind of by themselves. And I'm a conversational person. I went to talk to him and I just kind of, if I can say it this way, felt where they were coming from. And he dropped his head and in shame said, I just need to be honest with you. He said, uh, uh, I I was accused a while back of uh, uh, some indiscretions of abuse and. uh, They said I was guilty, and, of course, there's always two sides of the story. He said, and if you don't want me to come to the church, I understand. Well, I reached out to him, and I said, I'm going to tell you two things. First of all, you'll be loved at Church on the Rock. But two, you can't be around children. And if you're around children, you won't be welcome here because we do our best to protect our kids. But if you'll stay in adultville, we'll love you, and we'll help restore and rebuild your life. Now, let me say this. All of us have sins that we're ashamed of. All of us in this room have done things that we wish you to never have done. And some things that would have sent us to jail and some that did send us to jail. I mean, no church needs to be a place where sinners flock to. See, they flock to Jesus, but the religious people strong-armed him. But having said that, the church needs to have high standards of holiness and righteousness. 1 Peter 1.14, you must live as God's obedient children. Now, I don't know about you, but I didn't always want to obey when I was a little kid, and I still don't want to when I'm a big kid. Anybody? anybody? <laughs> I kind of do what I want to do when I want to do it. And sometimes we're like that with God. But Peter said this, live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your old carnal desires. You say, well, pastor, I struggle with that. I struggle with that, too but I don't struggle as much as I used to because I'm growing stronger spiritually. Look at verse 17, uh, verse 15. You must be holy in... Wow. Just as God who chose you is holy. Now, what is holy? Holy is not the way you dress. Holy, by definition, means to be set apart unto God. So you and I are to be set apart from our old sinful life and set apart unto Him. He goes on to say, remember that the Heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge. He's talking to Christians. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. That should put a little fear of the Lord in us. And here he says it. You must live in reverent fear of God during your time here as temporary residents. Life is only short. Life is short, 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 and one day we're going to stand before him, and I want him to look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. How about you? Come on, give the Lord a, give the Lord a good hand here. Now, how many, how many would say a few minutes ago when I started that I believe the Bible, pastor, just like you? Wave your hand at me. I believe the Bible. How about the rest of you? You don't believe the Bible? Okay. How many wouldn't raise your hand no matter what I said? Okay. All right. I I want to tell you some biblical things about some cultural hot-button issues now that our culture is on the opposite side of the fence. And here's what I fear. Remember when I said my greatest desire would be is that we as a people and that our nation would look to the Bible as the source of behavior, as the standards, as the boundaries of our behavior and decision-making? Well, I'm going to talk about some cultural things that, that, that turn the Bible upside down. And I want to challenge you in your thinking on these things because our thoughts reveal what we truly believe. Here's the first one. It is about the right to live. The right to live. The greatest cultural debate in my lifetime has been over abortion. But let me say this. The Bible teaches that life begins in the womb at conception. Uh, This week I read an article from one of the uh, Democratic candidates for president, Mayor Pete, Uh, I think he's in Ohio somewhere. Anyway, he said he believed, and he professes to be a Christian. He said he believes that life begins at the first breath. And he quoted, misquoted actually, when God created Adam. He misquoted the Bible. But here's what the Bible teaches. Jeremiah 1.5. God said to Jeremiah, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. I knew you. See, the Bible describes personhood in the womb, and even in God's foreknowledge, even before conception. We're not an accident. We are deliberate. We're on purpose. Another candidate I listened to briefly, Bernie Sanders, and Bernie said he believes in mass abortion for population control. Now, if you embrace that, what you're embracing is something that's anti-biblical. And what you're believing is you're believing that somehow God is not big enough to take care of all the people on the planet. I say, listen, the more people, the more people are going to heaven potentially. Right. So are, are, are the basics of our life start either grounded in the Scripture or not? Um, he told Jeremiah, before you were born, I set you apart. I gave you purpose before your birth and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Now, what is our responsibility there if I'm a Christian? First of all, let me say this. I fully understand that half of us in this room, men and women, have been impacted by abortion and not in a positive way. And let me say this. I understand that. But I understand the forgiveness of God, too. Come on. That you don't want to let the devil condemn you over a past decision or a past mistake. Listen, that is from the devil. That is from the pit of hell. There's no sin that God can't forgive. But our responsibility to these kids, Psalm 82, 4, save the weak and the... Who is more helpless than a baby in the womb? Free them from the power of the wicked. Life comes from God and is sacred from conception to natural death. And the Bible, even in the Ten Commandments, prohibits the taking of innocent life. Let's look at another cultural hot button. Let's talk about marriage a moment. I I, want to show you two pictures and they're different. The ones on the side, some call traditional marriage. I'd call it a biblical marriage between a biological male and a biological female. Our culture has said it doesn't matter if two men marry or if two women marry, which is right. Culture says both, but God's Word says different. Marriage is ordained by God and is a lifelong commitment between a man and a woman. You say, where do you get that? I'm glad you asked. Genesis 2.24. We go to the book of Genesis for, is a book of beginnings. And Genesis says, therefore, a man, and it, the, uh, the gender of that uh, 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 noun is masculine, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, feminine, and they shall become one flesh, a picture of natural sexual intercourse. It is both for joy and pleasure, but it's also for the procreation of the race. Now, Jesus and Paul both quoted this same scripture. Now, when I'm asked, Pastor, what, what do you think about, what would you say to someone about same-sex marriage? Here's what I would say. God has given us all the right to choose. It's called free will. You can follow God's word or you can reject it. I will love you if you're straight. I will love you if you're gay. I will not beat you over the head. But I love you enough to tell you the truth. Because it's just possible that this is God's word. It is just possible That Not only do prophecy support it, not only does archaeology support it, just this week I read they found what they believed it was the historical town of Emmaus where Jesus walked after the resurrection. There's just continual proofs about it. It's possible it's God's word. And I don't know about you, but I'm not willing to take a chance. And uh, I love you enough to tell you the truth. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Now, let's talk about gender confusion. This has taken off after It was okay to marry whoever you want to in America. Now the big thing is is you can decide who you are. That your sex assigned at birth can be different from the gender of your choice. And if you go to Facebook, you'll find dozens of options to choose who you are. There's a reason it's called gender confusion. It used to be called gender dysphoria. And there were other words that described it by the professionals, psychologists, child psychologists, psychiatrists, that dealt with people that were having this struggle, that were confused. And we've basically ignored their advice, and we're changing right from wrong, and we're just encouraging even kids in kindergarten that they can decide if they want to be a boy or a girl. But in Genesis 127, once again, the Bible, God created human beings in His own image. Listen, male and female, He created them. Now, listen, as a Christian, I love people who are gender confused, but I cannot accept the lie that we're free to choose who we are. We're not God. God is God. And the starting place for happiness is accepting who God created us to be. Come on, give the Lord another good hand. Well, listen, I could go on, but I'm out of time today. Um, Let me close with the last core value, is that I hope we both live... with. Live our life with purpose in preparation for Judgment Day. Now, I want, to, I want to picture a scripture first with Judgment Day having a little scary side and another a really positive side. Listen to what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 12. Solomon tried to find happiness in life through everything, spending money, having friends, having girlfriends, building stuff. And he closed his book and said this, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the... Now that's, if we would teach that to our children in school, I think that's why there's so many murders in America today. We're talking about the source of gun control today. We no longer teach children that they're going to be accountable to God one day, that they're going to have to give an account for their life. We teach them that they can find it at the end of a gun. Uh, all is better. Fear of God, keep His commandments. It's the whole duty. Verse 14, God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether it's good or evil. So that's kind of the fear of God side. Let me tell you the really cool side. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now, Paul the Apostle wrote this: He said, The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. What does that mean? Does that mean he was an eighth-degree black belt? No. He said, as a Christian, I have lived the Christian life. I hadn't given up on my faith. I've done everything to live for God. I've held on to faith. I've finished my race, my faith, my race. And I have remained faithful to God. Uh, My prayer for you and my prayer for me is this is how we end up our life. We live it and we end up faithful to God. And notice what he says. Now the prize awaits me. This is the good stuff. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but it's to all who eagerly look for his appearing and have me know we're a part of all and give him a hand today because there's a reward and that's a value for how I'm gonna live my life. Listen, I have been thrilled to do this new beginning series with, series with you today. We're gonna to close this way today. I'm gonna to show you a video of one of our teenagers. Her name is Paige Eaton. And Paige was, a, 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 well, Paige lost her family. And she was adopted by a family in our church. Now she's off to college at A&M. And she tells a little bit about her story. And I want you to hear this to underscore a value that we have that we value helping the next generation. Teaching our children and teaching our teenagers about the Lord. And while this video is being played, the ushers are going to wait on us for our first fruits offering. Again, if you're a guest, please don't feel obligated. But they'll, so many people here, they'll probably just pass the plates as they often do. And if you want to give, let me say thank you. It goes 100% towards the remodeling of our new building. Go ahead and listen to Paige. And ushers, we're, we're ready when you all are.
1: My name is Paige Eaton and I've been attending Church on the Rock and Powerhouse for about three and a half years now. Prior to this, uh, I I grew up in a broken home and I was moving from place to place, but the Snow family opened up their home to me and my sisters. At the time, I wasn't really close to the Lord, uh, but my parents encouraged me uh, to go to church with them and so I began going to Church on the Rock. And I went to Powerhouse a few times but really wasn't uh, connected until uh, Pastor Cole's wife, Brittany, invited me to a uh, to a sleepover with a bunch of the other youth girls, and uh, I really got connected with them and made friendships. And God uh, began to just move in my life in a real way, and. Um, Uh, the Lord was just calling me and a few of my other friends to start a small group in our school and we began to disciple and mentor students we began inviting them to powerhouse and but not only has God blessed uh, my life he's also blessed my family's life and uh, both my sisters and I have had the opportunity to be baptized on the annual uh, uh, powerhouse beach trip and I get to see Them serve and I get to see my brother play the drums on the worship team and I'm just so thankful for what God's been doing in our lives and that's why I'm excited about new beginnings Uh, as Church on the Rock and Powerhouse continues to expand and grow that just means more people to minister to and to love on and I'm just so excited to see uh, God do a work in their lives as he did in ours
0: While they're finishing up, I want want to read an email to you that uh, I received from one of our church members, and I read it with permission. But she and her husband have four kids that have been raised in our church. Here's what she said. "I, I woke up this morning overwhelmed with gratitude, so I wanted to say thank you. There's so many things I'm grateful for that it would be impossible to try and name them all, but I at least would like to say how grateful I am for your help raising my kids. As I watched my child lead worship in Powerhouse last night, I was so impressed with the team of kids on the stage, not just because they're talented, but more importantly because their gifts are recognized, encouraged, enhanced, and used while they're still young. The same is true in the kids' ministry. In Kids Zone last week, I went upstairs to pick up my son, and I, I was able to stand outside a preschool classroom and eavesdrop while he was volunteering as part of J.Crew. J. Crew is a mentoring program where older kids mentor. They help the teacher with the younger. He said, she said, I wanted to cry as I saw him operating with a confidence I rarely see in him. This church is different. It's special. I believe that kids aren't just put on the stage to perform or stuck in classrooms to fill empty spaces, but they are taught the Word of God and encouraged to pursue the voice and presence of God in their lives to make them ready to fulfill those positions. Um, it's, It's incredible to me that my boys have one at a time all come to a place where they don't solely depend on me to tell them what God thinks about things. But they pursue Him on their own, and they are able to help me more clearly see God's will and direction for different areas of their lives. They recognize the Holy Spirit and His voice. So as a mom, I'm able to guide them towards their own convictions, instead of having to lead them towards obedience. It's made all the difference in the choices they've made. You guys have helped me get to that place. And Listen to this. She said, as a matter of fact, uh, one of my sons said a couple weeks ago, if he had to name the five most influential people in his life, now this, this this guy's a junior in college. He named two of our church pastors. I can't imagine anything that would make me more confident about the direction he's headed than that. So again, thank you to all of you. The influence this church and staff have in the community and around the world makes me proud to be a part of it. But the influence you've all had in my home goes way beyond what I could have hoped for from a church. While raising my kids may not be in your job description, if you're helping us do it, we couldn't be happier or more grateful to have the help. Listen, this is not just about me. I'm told we have 153 people that volunteer just in the kids' ministries. And there's probably 20 that volunteer in the powerhouse with the youth. But it's because we're together, working together, we're making a difference in people's lives. We're sure not perfect. Uh, but you know what? We're trying to do something for the Lord and we're trying to live right. And I want to say thank you for what you're doing. Give the Lord one more big hand. Why don't you stand to your feet with me today? Let's pray. I want to pray over these offerings that were given. Today, Lord, I want to say thank you to the people who have made a commitment and are investing to reach people they don't even know. People in our community, people around the world, we've all simply said yes to you because we see this as a a way of significance for our lives. Building a ministry center that will impact thousands or even millions of people in the days ahead so we sanctify this money for you I pray when the contracts go out I pray God that we would get the best bids possible quality work I pray God that it would be done in a timely manner there'd be no complications or hidden expenses but I pray God that you would uh, make provision for everything that's needed and we do this for your glory bless the people that have given I pray that you would prosper them in return in Jesus name well let me close this way Uh, we're gonna have one last song and during this song, if you want prayer for anything, we'll have one last opportunity. Oftentimes people want to talk to someone at the end. They have some burdens in their hearts. could be for their life or maybe a friend or a family member. Uh, I'd encourage you to just come and receive prayer. But perhaps the most important prayer I'd like to pray is if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I don't know if I died today or if I go to heaven or hell. When you were describing about knowing God, difference between just going to church and knowing God and loving Him I don't know that I'm on that side of knowing God. Let me say I understand I want to picture it this way remember when we illustrated earlier the cross representing Christ and we're all living our own way. We just do that we're born sinners the Bible said because of Adam and Eve. We're we're good people I mean it can be a relative sinner but we're still sinners and we're doing our own thing and periodically we look back at God but one day we stop. And I did this on August 15, 1976. It was kind of my time. And I'd always believed in Christ and the Bible, but I'd never fully committed my life to follow Him. I'd never received Christ as my Savior. I, I ask God to forgive me when I mess up, but that's different than turning your life to Christ. And I remember the day that it happened. It was a decision on my part, but it was a result of God wooing me, calling me. Maybe you feel that same calling today. Maybe you've never committed your life to Christ. Or maybe you have in the past, but you got away from God. But today you want to get right. You want to get right because hopefully you're a little more aware of sin and judgment. But hopefully you're more aware that there's a loving God that cares for you. And that He has a plan for your life that's better than anything you can imagine. But the starting place is when you're willing to turn to Him and surrender your life. I'm going to ask if you feel like I'm speaking to you now. I believe that's the Holy Spirit drawing you to God. And if you'd like to commit commit or recommit your life to Christ, when they start singing this song, I'm going to encourage you to slip out of your chair and come to the cross. There's something powerful about that walk to the cross that's life-changing. I promise you we won't embarrass you. We're going to give you something that's going to help you, and we're going to pray for you. And uh, you come. Go ahead and begin to sing, Pastor Zach. Our prayer team is coming to the front now. You need prayer for anything, they're here. But most importantly, if you want to commit your life to Christ, you come and we'll meet you at the cross. I love you. Please stay during this last song and then we'll dismiss.